I had a sermon written for this morning, um, but honestly, it wasn't that good. Um, so, uh, so I threw it out. I just threw it in the trash can. Um, <clears throat> I'll rework it and maybe reuse it for another day. Um, but it wasn't that good because I had something else that was kind of on my mind and on my heart uh, yesterday while I was trying to put together what am I going to say. Um, so a few hours ago, as I was uh, driving in here this morning from my house, you know, it's still dark out, and I do the same thing that I do uh, every Sunday. I pray uh, for you all, uh, for everyone who will come into this church. I, I pray for the band. I pray for the leadership. Um, I pray for the words that I will uh, share and speak that they may touch someone's heart and life. Um, and so as I was praying that, I got the feeling that the words that I had prepared to share just weren't the right words for today, especially in light of uh, everything that we witnessed yesterday, our hearts broken um, over the loss of our brothers and sisters at Tree of Life Synagogue in Spring in Squirrel Hill. Um, so this sermon, or whatever you want to call it, uh, it it's not going to be perfect. I can't give you a reason why. And I can't explain the tragedy. But what I can offer you is maybe hope. It just as we sang, that we can maybe trace the rainbow through the rain. And so... <clears throat> What I think that we can do, and what I think that I have been doing, is that we can lament as an act of faith, that we can trust that as we come before God this morning, as we come in to our place of worship on our Sabbath day, that we can come with honest hearts about what we're feeling that we can acknowledge the pain and the grief and shudder at the horror and shrink before the mystery of death. And we can take all of that, all of those worries, all of those fears, all of those anxieties, and hand them over to our God, our great God, who hears us, who knows what troubles our hearts, and who comes and speaks those words to us. Don't let your hearts be troubled. But before I get to all that, I think I just need to set some things straight that um, I shouldn't have to. But for some reason or another, they've been totally misguided and misunderstood by some people. So if you have a Bible, and if you were to open it, you would notice that about two-thirds of it is this thing called the Old Testament. That's the Jewish scriptures. And then you'll see what follows it is called the New Testament. That's the writings of uh, the followers of Jesus, and that's the, the history uh, of, of Jesus' life, the, the Gospels in there. And somewhere along the lines, we've forgotten that those two things are connected, <laughs> We've forgotten that, that our Christian faith is only possible because of the faith of our Jewish brothers and sisters. We've forgotten that, that Jesus was a Jew. 
He was born a Jew. He was raised a Jew. He called his disciples, and they were Jewish. The early church was a bunch of Jews following Jesus as their Messiah. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and start something entirely new, but he came to fulfill it. He came to make sense of the Jewish faith and to live it out through his own life as an example for what we all are to follow. And somehow we've forgotten that. And there's this oxymoron that you can be an anti-Semitic Christian and that just isn't so. And so we lament what happened yesterday. The act of, of hatred and violence and we rebuke it and we look for the day where such things will be no more that there will be no more tears there will be no more hatred there will be no more violence there will only be peace in the Jewish faith they have that hope too and they say that that day there was just really one word to describe what it will be like, shalom. And it means peace, but not peace in an artificial sense, but peace in such a way that it springs up from the ground and it lives deep within each of us as we have peace with God and peace with one another. So we share that hope. We share that faith And we're thankful towards our Jewish brothers and sisters for it. And so there's a passage of scripture that um, whenever I do a graveside service, whenever I, you know, commit someone uh, back to the Lord and we say kind of our final earthly goodbyes to them, I share a passage of scripture that comes from the very end of our Bible, comes from uh, Revelation Uh, 21 and 22, and it's a time where it says um, there's a vision of the new heaven that will one day come. There will be no more weeping, there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, but there will only be joy. And this is what it says It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, and that city is Jerusalem. the capital of the, Jew, of the Jewish people. And so on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not be a need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And so whatever sense that we can make out of this, from the shooting and the lives of our brothers and sisters that were lost at the Tree of Life synagogue, whatever can come from it, 
may we pray that we may find some healing for our nation and for all the nations. You see, today we are supposed to talk about uh, cultivating celebration. In our sermon series of, of wholeheartedly cultivating all these different things, well, today was supposed to be cultivating celebration, but how do you celebrate in the midst of such tragedy? In the midst of yet another tragedy that we're faced with. But I, I, I think, I think we, st- we, can't, we can't lose that that there is still something to celebrate. Not, not the event, not the pain, not the horror. That's not to be celebrated. But what is to be celebrated is that even in the midst of tragedy, we still have a reason to sing. We, we still have a hope as people of faith. We have a hope that defies reason. It, it defies logic. That's why it's called Faith. It's the confidence in things hoped for and the assurance of things not yet seen. You see, we, we see a lot of hatred. We see a lot of pain. We see a lot of division. We see a lot of violence. All those things are, are so easy to see, but faith, faith forces us to see beyond that. Faith forces us to see something else, a different reality. That one day, where there will be no more pain, but only joy. You see, faith and fear, they can't coexist together. Not if we're to have authentic faith, wholehearted faith, the kind of faith that Jesus invited us to have when he came to offer us an abundant life. You see, life is, is too precious. And life is, is too sacred to live in fear. And life is too short to live it half-heartedly. You see, Jesus said time and time again, be not afraid, but believe, have faith. In fact, that's the most common phrase that's used throughout all of the Bible, be not afraid. You see it time and time again throughout the Old Testament and the New, be not afraid. And it sort of baffles us a little bit, but I don't think that it's meant to say that that we can't have fear. I mean, everyone has fear. We all do. And we often find that fear is abounding in this world. But what the scripture teaches us is that grace abounds even more. Love abounds even more. That to say those words, do not fear, or be not afraid, means that we don't have to become the fear that we see in our world. We don't have to become the fear that we're feeling. We don't have to be held captive by it, and we don't have to give our lives over to it, serving it, and thus perpetuating the cycle of fear that runs throughout this world. You see, our faith calls us to something else. Be not afraid, but have faith, have hope in things that that are unseen yet today, but one day they will come. There seems to be an increasing fear 
of the other in our world, whatever other you want to call it, anyone who is different from yourself. But that's not how God calls us to see each other. That's not how God calls us to live in this world, that the opening pages of Scripture says that we are all created in the image of God. We are all bearers of something sacred and holy, and we're called to represent that and reflect that and bring that out in the lives of others. We're called to see each other through the eyes of love, not through the eyes of hatred, not through the eyes of fear, and not through the eyes of other but only through the eyes of love. So it says in 1 John chapter 4, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out, casts out fear. Because fear, you see, has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, the, the opposite of love is not hate. What it says here is that the opposite of of love is fear. Because if we live in fear, we'll never live in love. If we live with our hearts and our lives guarded off towards others, then we'll never fully know what love is. When we live in fear, we live closed off to the rest of the world. We live half-heartedly. But Jesus came to offer us an abundant life one that our hearts are opened up to God and opened up to the world, fully engaged, committed, and sincere. And it's hard to be committed to something when you're afraid, right? And so what I want to encourage us today, I know it's a little different, I want to encourage us to commit ourselves not to fear, for that's easy. That comes natural. It's almost promoted in our world today. But as people of faith, we would not be committed to fear, but we would be committed to love. Love of God and love of neighbor. I mean, that's the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us when he said, love one another as I have loved you. And by the way, that's a commandment that he took from the Old Testament as he was raised a Jewish boy. See, if we're ever going to live wholeheartedly, we have to learn how to love. We have to learn how to live without fear in this world. And it means that we must diligently, maybe, maybe even stubbornly so, commit ourselves to loving each other. And that means that we're also going to have to celebrate. And I know it sounds weird, especially in the wake of what we witnessed yesterday, but our faith calls us to celebrate, even in the things that, that we can't yet see. You see, we don't celebrate as the world does. We don't celebrate as the world does. The rest of the world, to them, celebration is seen as something like an escape. That you turn away from the world. You, you tune off, and you turn off. Celebration is kind of like a vacation, you turn off, you turn out, and you turn away from the world. But, but for people of faith, celebration, it's just the result. It's, it's the consequence of opening up your whole heart to someone else, 
to something bigger than yourself. Celebration is the result of opening up your heart to someone else besides just yourself. That's where we find joy. That's where we find a reason to celebrate. Listen to this. It comes from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, For the joy, the joy set before him, the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, Jesus went towards the cross. And he did so because he knew that the joy would come on the other side of it. He knew that at the end of all this pain, at the end of all this shame, at the, at the end of all of this heartache, there would be something left over that would be worth celebrating. See, it teaches us that the worst thing is never the last thing. That as tragic as the cross was, as painful as it was, Jesus went before it with joy because he knew that three days later there would be new life, that a new hope would be given. That's the paradox of our faith. So in the Jewish tradition, if you were to open up the Old Testament and about halfway through, you'd find this big book called the Psalms. And really, it's just a bunch of prayers and songs that have been written down by the Jewish people for years and years and years. And about half of those, or more, are actually psalms of lament. They're psalms and prayers of sorrow and and heartache and honest conversation with God about what's going on in their lives, what's going on in their world. And all of the psalms of lament except for one. All of the Psalms of Lament end in doxology. That means they all end with praising God. That no matter how bad it has been that they've been writing about, no matter how bad whatever it is that they've been praying about, they all end with praise and celebration for who God is. You might think of Psalm 23. You've heard it before, maybe at a funeral. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the darkest place, even in the most fear-riddled place, I shall not fear. Because God... You got it. And you're guiding me. So I want to read one psalm of lament. This is Psalm 30. And it's actually one that the Christian church has adopted and used for centuries on Easter Sunday. The day that we celebrate resurrection and new life, we take this psalm of lament. This is Psalm 30, and it says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. 
And so sing praises of the Lord, you faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? So hear me, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. And here it comes. You turn my wailing into dancing. And you removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. That even though weeping may stay for the night, and it may seem like a really long night, joy will come in the morning. That there will be an end to the pain and the suffering, and there will be nothing left but joy. The worst thing is never the last thing if we commit ourselves to faith because faith and fear cannot coexist. And so we have this thing. Whenever we welcome someone into the life of faith, whether, whether we baptize a baby or we welcome a new member into the church, we invite them to join in a covenant with us, make, make a few promises on how we're going to live together. It's called our, our promise of baptism, our baptismal covenant. That's how we do covenant in the Christian church. Well, yesterday, <clears throat> at Tree of Life Synagogue, there was supposed to be a covenant made with a baby, joining into uh, the life of the Jewish faith. Promises would be made to uphold one another and share in this wonderful, beautiful life and commit to faith to live together. And so, in a similar way, we make those same commitments when someone joins our community of faith here on a Sunday morning. And we ask them a couple questions and And these are the first two, and they seem very strange. But I think on days like today, they make sense. And we can grasp the gravity and the importance of these two questions. And the first one begins, Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin. And then I ask them, if so, say, I do. And then I ask, now do you accept the freedom and the power 
that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. If so, say, I do. They're both questions of, will you live a life of faith instead of a life of fear? Will you find something worth celebrating? Even though the darkness seems to abound in this world, will you find that light, hold on to it, renounce the darkness, and cultivate celebration? Go towards the light. Will you live your life wholeheartedly? Will you live your life with complete sincerity and commitment? Will you celebrate? Because celebration is really just the consequence of opening up our whole hearts to one another, our whole hearts to God, our whole hearts to each other. And the greatest thing that we have to celebrate is love. And there's no greater thing than for someone to lay down his life for one another. God's love for us and our love for one another. And so we are supposed to have a time of commitment where we bring up those wholehearted cards and I was going to talk about finances and all sorts of great church stuff that I'm sure you care deeply about. But that just didn't feel right. But I still think we should have a time of commitment together. And I would ask you to make a commitment not to live in fear, but make a commitment to live in faith. Make a commitment not to live in fear, but to make a commitment to love, to commit to wholeheartedly living in this life. And so I want to end with this passage of scripture we've heard it a few times before uh, throughout the last couple weeks. It comes from Jeremiah 29. I'm going to invite uh, the band up as I, as I read it, and they're going to play a couple songs. And this is just a time for us uh, to be together in worship. But this comes from Jeremiah 29. And it's at a time when the Jewish people uh, were being oppressed facing hardship. They were living in a foreign land. It, it seemed like nothing was, was really going right. And then in the middle of that, God speaks a word of hope. And so this is Jeremiah 29. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's not going to be today. <laughs> But it will come one day. God goes on and says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And so we just wanted to give this space over to you today for a time for you to come and talk openly with your heavenly Father. Whatever's on your heart, that you could lay that down. But also a time that we together as a church would commit to something larger than ourselves. 
that we would commit to love and that we would find celebration as we open up our hearts to God and one another. And so the altar is open for you to come and pray for yourself, uh, but also be in prayer for our Jewish brothers and sisters um, in Squirrel Hill.